0: Alright, so let's go to Acts chapter 17 and Angela, let's dig into our Bible study for today. We are dealing with difficult passages and dealing with them scripturally and prayerfully. Angela, Acts oh, 17 verse 11.
1: These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so.
0: Okay, so what was, what are, who, who are these people to begin with?
1: The people of Thessalonica.
0: Uh, oh, Berea. Berea, I'm yes. sorry. Yes, Berea. They were better than the ones in Thessalonica. <laughs> yes. Okay, so the ones in Thessalonica, they're like, yeah, nah, that's nah, not, not going to have that. The ones in Berea was like, ooh, wait up. Let's have a look. Now, which of those two scenarios is a more noble scenario?
1: it's definitely better to look into something than just to take on what the world is saying.
0: Or just to write it off as stupidity. So many times, you know, something comes along and you're like, that's just nuts. That's crazy. However, even if it is, how are you ever going to engage with somebody who takes that particular view if you don't take the time to study it seriously yourself and actually give it the respect or give that person the respect that person deserves, even though you think the idea is nuts.
1: It's true.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you've got a situation where Paul turns up in Thessalonica and he begins to preach in the synagogue and the Jews are like, this is nuts. You're talking about somebody who's resurrected from the dead. You're talking about a Messiah who dies and then disappears back to heaven. Messiah is supposed to come as king and rule on the earth and establish a Jewish empire. What are, you, what are you going on about? That's nuts. They don't want to have anything to do with what he's saying, so he goes to Berea, and when he gets to Berea, they are like, yeah, you know what? This sounds pretty wacko kind of thing, but let's actually study and find out whether there is any credibility to this whatsoever at all. And so they exercise a certain level of open-mindedness. So, how important is open mindedness, Angela?
1: Um, I think it's very important when it comes to something as important as eternal life. If that's what he's promising, now, if it's just something crazy like convincing me about a television show, you know, I think you also have to weigh what you're being asked to question and look more deeper into.
0: Absolutely. Okay. And when you look at the Bereans here and their dedication to studying the Bible, uh, as an example for us, then we find a group of people who are seriously about their relationship with God. It's just—it's really as simple as that. And, and they put re-
1: dedication every day. It's interesting how yeah, they put daily, daily in there.
0: And they did it as a group together. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, let's sit down as a group and let's figure out, you know, and let's let's talk this one backwards and forwards. It does not give you the picture of a group of people who got together and debated, does it? No, no, no. They were searching, the Bible says, not debating. And there's a difference between those two things. Okay, so when we're faced with a difficult passage of Scripture, then that's not necessarily a time where we should uh, just, you know, just debate it backwards and forwards or push it out of our mind. The Bible says, let's spend some time. Let's search through and find out, is this a legitimate um message that is coming to us, and is it backed up by the Bible or not?
1: And I like how it says with readiness. I wonder sometimes when we search the Bible, are we ready for what it has to teach us, or are we not ready? Because they they were ready. They are like, all right, I'm going to give this a fair shot. And so I think when you come to study the Bible, you have to ask yourself, are you ready for the conviction it may bring? Because that's a very strong thing to be aware of.
0: Yes, and I have to confess that too often when I study the Bible, And I come across passages, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm not ready for that one right now. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Because it cuts across our human nature and what we actually want to hear.
1: Yes.
0: But that's a good thing. That's what the Bible is actually there for. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go over to Acts chapter 8 and verse 35, and let's see what's happening here. We've got a number of different examples from the book of Acts about people who were confronted with um, aspects of the Bible, aspects of Bible knowledge that they were very challenged by. Um, Acts chapter 8 and verse 35.
1: Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Right. <laughs>
0: that didn't say a whole lot, did it?
1: No, it needed a little bit of context. <laughs> it needs a little bit of context.
0: Angela, why don't you give us some context for the story of Philip and the eunuch?
1: Well, there is... Um, Philip is traveling and he sees a eunuch studying scripture. Mm-hmm. And so when he sees somebody studying, and it's somebody of... Of wealth. He is yes, obviously s- uh, very significant and he sees him studying specifically in Isaiah mm-hmm. and he can tell that he's a man who's ready. Yes. He's ready because he um, seems to know some background about this Christ. And so he's not coming to him completely being like, oh, let me tell you who Christ is. He's the eunuch. Is it looking to Philip? Wait, you could tell me more about what I'm studying here?
0: When you put yourself in the eunuch's shoes, okay, so the eunuch has traveled up from Ethiopia. There's a fair distance to travel to get to Israel. He's gone there to worship because he is a worshiper of Yahweh. He's not a worshiper of Ethiopian gods. He is a worshiper of Yahweh. You would find it hard to imagine that he has, you know, this is, this is three years into, three and a half, maybe four years into Christianity. You would find it hard to imagine that this particular individual has not heard about Christ because this was, this, you know, this was big events and the gospel message had been going far and wide. But when you're in a far-flung part of you know, the empire, such as Ethiopia in those days, your picture of Christ would be pretty incomplete. Yes. What I see here is somebody who has been praying about this and has been wondering about it. It's like, okay, I've been hearing all of this stuff and i'm hearing these bits and pieces i don't have a complete picture here i'm going to study it out and he's in, his, in his, sitting in his chariot and he's just reading and studying and uh and of course god gives uh the, the philip the ethiopian the opportunity to head over there and to share with him the message of jesus christ and as a result of that he gives his life to christ he's converted he's baptized and then christianity is established in ethiopia and Christianity then, if you can, you can go to Ethiopia today and Christianity still exists there and has an unbroken chain of existence in that country since the time of the Ethiopian eunuch.
1: That's incredible. The power of one.
0: The power of one person
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, to bring about incredible amounts of change. All right, let's go over to Acts chapter 15 now and we'll look at another situation. So in Acts chapter 8, it was a difficult passage for the Ethiopian, but God sent him someone to help him to understand it. And it's always good to bounce these ideas backwards and forwards with people of understanding because you never know what they might be able to share and what they might be able to uh, bring up that adds value to what you are already learning. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so Acts chapter 15, verse 15 and 16, please, Angela.
1: All right. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things.
0: Okay, this is an interesting story right here, because you have... This is the story of the Jerusalem Council. The story of the Jerusalem Council is to deal with the Gentile problem. You have Gentiles that are flooding into Christianity. They are accepting the faith. You have some Jews who are like, well, if you're going to accept a Jewish religion, then you need to be Jewish. You have other Jews who are like, this is a religion that has got nothing to do with Jews. This is just a religion. So be whatever nationality you want. This is what Christianity is. Uh, and so you have some Jews like, well, you know, you need, to, you need to do all of the Jewish things if you're going to be part of this. And others saying, no, 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 this is not what the gospel is all about.
1: Yeah, the Christian church is trying to decide how Jewish they're supposed to be now. When it's rooted in a Jewish history, how Jewish should they look now?
0: Exactly. Now, if you work your way back through this passage, because they really struggled with this one. Yes. And the reality is that for, you know, the first hundred years or so of the history of Christianity, Christianity was seen as Judaism by the world. And so if you if you became a Christian, people just assumed, well, you've become a Jew. Yes. Um, and, you know, this is one of the reasons why you have things like some of the early practices of Sunday keeping was because the world knew that... Jewish people kept Saturday as a mm-hmm. day of worship and when Christians came along and kept Saturday as a day of worship it just said to the world it spoke to the world that these people are Jewish. So you've got all you've got this massive movement that's taking place right across the gentile world which by the time of Constantine is one out of every 10 people in the empire. Yes. That to many people has become Jewish. The problem is that the Jewish nation has rebelled against the empire. There's been, you know, four plus years of bloody conflict, which has ended with the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. And so Jews as a people are the race that is pretty much on the nose. And so to become a, to be seen to becoming a Jewish person was a major barrier for Gentiles, and this is one of the reasons why Sunday keeping came in. It's like, we need to look less Jewish here. Let's look more pagan.
1: And unfortunately, it was because the Jews had such an air of superiority.
0: Superiority. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Um, That it was such a struggle, I think, for many people, because for so long it was preached as if they were... Just this elect, when they were supposed to be an elect to bless others, never just to bless themselves. And so as that was lost sight of, then others are not attracted to be a part of that religion.
0: That's right. Absolutely. And you've got this whole issue of racism that we've, our world is dealing with right now that comes in right here. Okay, so Acts chapter 15, let's go down to ooh, verse 6. If you could read for us verse 6, please.
1: All right, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter.
0: Okay, so they've got this problem. This is, this is the problem they have. What are we going to do with all these Gentiles who are becoming Christians? How Jewish do they need to become? Do they need to become as Jewish as Jews? Do they need to be more Jewish than Jews, less Jewish than Jews? And so what is their solution? The Bible says that they come together to discuss the problem. This is the first church council ever held. Yes. And so there is wisdom and benefit in holding a church council and working together. All right, keep reading next next verse.
1: And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe.
0: Okay, so the Bible talks about what were they doing in this council?
1: They were talking about circumcision.
0: Yes, but specifically in verse 7, they are involved in a certain kind of discussion. A certain genre of discussion. My Bible says they were disputing. I think your Bible says that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're disputing. Okay, But what you've got here when you actually read the nature of this dispute, you don't have people yelling and screaming at each other. We could read this as discussion because when Peter stands up, everybody's listening, everybody's paying attention, um, everybody is um, taking note of what Peter has to say, and Peter is putting forth... A rather powerful argument here uh, in favor of the gentiles becoming christians okay let's keep reading uh where we get up to verse uh eight nine and ten
1: so god who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the holy spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith now therefore why do you test god by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear and verse 11 But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they.
0: Okay, so he points out the fact that the Holy Spirit, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon a group of Gentile people who, you know, these were uncircumcised Gentiles. And if they can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, why can't they receive baptism by water? Baptism by water is simply a symbol that baptism by the Holy Spirit has already taken place. And so uh, he is pointing this out. It is a powerful argument. It's like, really, how do you actually argue against that? Um, and verse 12, we see the response.
1: Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles.
0: Okay, so when you read about this dispute that they are having here, you find that it is really more a respectful discussion than a dispute. And they are looking at the actual evidence that they have. They have the evidence from Peter. They have the evidence from Paul. They have the evidence from Barnabas. Um, They can see very, very clearly they cannot deny the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. And it is starting to give them a broader view of the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because they are approaching this in a teachable fashion. With open minds. Now, when you approach something in a teachable fashion with an open mind, that does not mean that you do not defend a certain position that you have. Because I think that when you have a position, there is value in defending it to see whether it is actually something that will hold water or not. It's true. But not to defend it with pride. Okay, Bible goes on. You know, When they held their peace... James answered, men and brethren, listen to me. And then we move on to the verses that we've just read here. Uh, to this, uh, um, Peter has declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And did this agree the words of the prophets as it is written? After this, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. We'll build up the ruins that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord who does these things. And so he quotes here a prophecy from the book of Amos. And the prophecy is about the rebuilding of the temple. And the prophecy here talks about the rebuilding of the temple and temple, and all of the Gentiles coming back to God. So, he is using scripture to back up the experience that they have had in the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. And he's like, okay, the Bible talks about this, and we can read about it in this particular passage. Now, when we read that same passage, and it might be worth our while if we just flick back across, I believe that one's in the book of Amos. Let me just find that one very, very quickly. Um, it'll be towards the end, Um, chapter 9 and verse 11. Amos chapter 9 and verse 11, if we flick back over there. Let's say we read this verse and we read it in today's context without the context of Acts chapter 15. What do you think might be the conclusion that you might come to with this verse in today's world without the context of Acts 15? Angela, you want to read it for us?
1: On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old.
0: Okay. If you're just randomly reading your Bible, you've got no context whatsoever at all, and you just read that verse, what are you going to conclude?
1: I would say that there would be a restoration of the Jewish nation, and their temple was going to look as grand as the time of Solomon. You would. Because that's the one that he was preparing for was the tabernacle of David, which Solomon got the privilege to build.
0: Okay, so you would, and that would be a very, very reasonable um, conclusion to come to. However, when you go to the book of Acts, we find that Acts provides a very, very different conclusion to that. And we're going to come back and talk about it more in just a moment as we look at how to deal with difficult passages of Scripture. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. So one of the points that I really want to bring out in this Bible study is the necessity of allowing the Bible to explain itself. Mm. And Acts chapter 15 is a really good example of that because, you know, we looked at this passage here in Amos chapter 9 and verse 12, verse 11 that is quoted in Acts 15. And if you take the Amos passage by itself, and I've actually had this happen many, many times. I've had people who have said, well, you know, at the end of time, we're going to have a seven year tribulation in which the temple was going to be rebuilt. I'm like, great, let me uh, show me some verses on that and they'll go straight here to Amos chapter 9, and verse 11, and they will quote this verse and say, There you go. The Bible says that the temple will be rebuilt. Now, there's a number of problems that immediately crop up when you use this passage to support the temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem. And there are a number of other passages that are similar to this one that speak about the rebuilding of the temple. The first problem that crops up is that all of these passages speak about the rebuilding of the temple in a very, very positive light. My question is, wait a minute. If the temple is going to be rebuilt and the sacrificial services started again, isn't that blasphemy? Isn't that a denial of what Jesus did on Calvary? Isn't that the reason why God allowed the Romans to destroy the temple in the first place. So how could that ever be how could there be anything positive that could come out of the temple being rebuilt? So that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Now some people might say, oh, well, you know, it means that Jesus is coming back soon." But that's not what these verses are talking about. These verses are saying that the rebuilding of the temple is a in and of itself is a positive thing. So that's going to create some conflict and that's going to mean that these passages suddenly go from the passages being very easy to understand to being difficult passages to understand. They're only going to be difficult passages to understand if you connect the dots between why was the temple destroyed by God and what kind of language is being used in the prophecies about rebuilding the temple. Because you have a conflict there. You have a contrast. You have a contradiction. It is contradictory to have verses in the Bible that speak about the rebuilding of the temple in a positive light. And when you have an apparent contradiction like that, then you need to allow the Bible to explain itself. And so we've got a great example of that right here. Because when it comes to Amos chapter 9 and verse 11, you've kind of got two options you can take you can read that verse and you can say, well, I think the verse means... and throw out an idea. This is my idea of what the verse means. Alternatively, you can say, let me find out what does the Bible say that this verse means? And if you ask that question, particularly if you ask that question and you've got a Bible with marginal references like I do, it's going to send you straight to Acts chapter 15. And there you're going to find that the Bible gives you a definition for what the passage means when it's talking about the rebuilding of the temple. And James there, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it very, very clear. This is not talking about an end-time building of the literal temple in Jerusalem just before Jesus comes back. He's like, no, the rebuilding of the temple is the rebuilding of God's church. The rebuilding of God's church, not from Jewish people exclusively, but from Jewish people and Greek people and Roman people and African people and Egyptian people and whoever else it might be. And so then we really only have one choice to make, and that is, do we accept the Bible definition for what the verse means, or do we accept our own? I do find it fascinating, and I think it's probably a, a commentary on human nature, that I find people who are like no, no, no. I'm going to go with my. Own. I'm not going to go with the Bible definition. I'm going to go with my own because you know I've believed this for so long, or I really like this one, or I prefer it, or my pastor says it, or I've read it in you know X amount of books. Therefore, it can't be wrong. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, when you know what the Bible says, you know what the truth is.
1: You know, and I think that's why some people can be intimidated by the Bible because there can be so many times where you come across unanswerable things, and for people who don't. Like me, don't always know how to find the answer to Amos nine eleven. You can just say, "Oh, there's just going to be too many questions that I can't answer." But I think the beauty in Acts is um, showing us very practically that God longs to reveal Himself to us. God sent the the eunuch Philip. God sent the first church, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of a of a, a good healthy. Let's discuss and let's pray about this. The people of Berea, Paul. Let's talk about this. Let's discuss it. Let's prayerfully consider it. And so I think if you are earnestly longing to discover truth, God says, come, let us reason together.
0: That's a really good verse. Whereabouts is that verse?
1: Isaiah one eighteen.
0: Why don't you read that one for for us? Because it's important for us to come and reason together as Christians. It's also important for us to come and reason together with God uh, because we find something here and we can wrestle with it. And sometimes, you know... Sometimes I feel like having an argument with God about things. I'm like, God, why did you? What's going on here? Mm. Why did you Mm. say this? Mm -hmm. You know, this is not making any sense to me. And you wrestle with God, and you study it in depth. And as you work your way through it, and you wrestle with God, and you look at it in depth, then the answers become apparent. God leads you by His Holy Spirit. He does.
1: Um, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And in verse 19, it says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land.
0: Yes. Great passage right there. Um, And I think that it's a healthy thing for us to engage in is reasoning together and reasoning with God.
1: Yes. And God longs to reveal his character. He wants to not be a mystery to us. And we, when we cut and pick different verses and the Old Testament say, oh, God's a vengeful God, or I just can't understand because these passages are so incredibly difficult. Well, then his character isn't shown through very very positively. And then that's what we focus on when God's like, but I want you to know how much I love you. And as we become more like God, we reflect that.
0: Absolutely. And so, um, you know, I, I think from my own experience of wrestling with God on occasions, it's always a blessing when you, when you wrestle and you struggle over a certain issue. And as you, you know, even engage in arguments with God, like, I don't understand this, you know, what's going on here? And then God, you know, that quiet, still vo- small voice through his Holy Spirit is like, yeah, okay, Lyle, have you thought about, you know, this and this and this and this over here? And it's like, ooh. Or, you know, as you say in a small group Bible study, And this is one of the great advantages of being able to reason together amongst other Christians. You might have a small group Bible study studying Amos chapter 9 and verse 11. And everybody in that Bible study is like, Oh, this must be the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem at the end of time, during the seven-year tribulation, just before Jesus comes back. But if you have one person in the Bible study who can put their hand up and go, um, okay, there's actually already, we don't have to figure this one out because this one's already been figured out for us and we have a biblical definition for it. Then suddenly, this is the advantage of you know studying as a group, suddenly everybody in that group is now educated on passages that you may not have known before, but now you do.
1: You know, and I I honestly thinking trying to get a Bible with cross-references is extremely helpful. I just recently got a Bible with cross-references and I had no idea the incredible wealth of knowledge I was missing out by not having cross-references given to me because it instantly helps me to bring a verse that's difficult to its explaining position.
0: To its context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, um, I think this is one of the most, as you say, one of the most valuable tools you can get along with the concordance or you know Bible gateway on your computer. Um, if you can get some of these tools, they will show you. And one of the things that they reveal is that so much of the New Testament is just quotes from the Old. Yes. It's just the Old Testament being repeated over and over and over again.